This program is made possible by the friends and partners of Unspeakable Joy. But I want to show you this verse in the book of 2 Chronicles chapter number 16 and verse number 9. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. Herein thou hast done foolishly. Therefore, from henceforth thou shalt have wars. Here is an interesting verse that often gets quoted. I imagine if I asked you to raise your hands tonight, you have probably heard this taught on or preached about. Because somebody has invariably tried to challenge our hearts with the fact that there is a God in heaven that is looking for people on this earth, that he can do something that only he can do and can work in a way that only he can work. And he gives us the requirement of what it's going to take to have that. He said the only thing you've got to have in order to see God work is you've got to have a heart that is perfect toward God. The man that this is written about is a man whose name is Asa. Asa is the king of the southern tribes, that the little kingdom that's called Judah. You remember in the days that followed Solomon, his son Rehoboam, he goes with the advice of the young men, and he walks away from the advice of the old men. And as he walks away from the advice of the old men, the kingdom splits. And the ten more populous, more wealthy, more powerful nations, the counties or cities, they go north. And they form what is known from their own as the nation of Israel. And the two southern tribes of the south, they've got less people, they've got less money, they've got less ability, they've got less land. But yet they had one thing that the wealthy and the powerful and the influential did not have. You know what they had? They had the ark of the covenant of God wherein the Shekinah glory of God resided and rested. And they had God in their midst. And Asa becomes the king that is in that lineage of David in the southern tribes. And I mean, he has had a humdinger of a ministry. He starts out taking over for his father, Abijah. And there in the lineage of Abijah, Asa is faced with a war, I mean, right smack dab, right off the cuff of his coronation. I mean, he no more takes the crown off his head when the messenger comes in and says, all right, we got a battle on our hands. He says, the Lubans and the Ethiopians have teamed up together and they have come and they are going to conquer our kingdom. Asa says, I ain't afraid of that. They said, but King Asa, you got no army. You got no, you got no tanks. You got no swords. You got no chariots. You ain't got no bombs. You ain't got no guns. You ain't got no bullets. You ain't even got donkeys to saddle up. Never do you have horses. He says, I ain't worried about that. He says, I got one thing. When I don't have tanks, 
tanks and I don't have guns and I don't have missiles and I don't have horses and I don't have chariots. He said, I got a God that's got all power and I'm going out in the name of the Lord God of hosts. And he walks out into that battle and he gets victory. And the Bible says that God increases Asa in power and in fame and in glory. And now he comes down to the end of his life and in chapter number 16, the northern tribes of Israel walk out and they team up with the nation of Syria and they go to conquer little Judah. Now, here is what you would think would happen, all right? You would think that this man who had seen battles before and this man that has seen war before and this man that has seen all of this before, what would he have supposedly done? He would have, should have, and could have done exactly what he did back there. He should have done the thing that got him victory back there. But do you know what he did? He goes to the other side and he does something opposite. You see, back there, he depended on the Lord. But do you know what he did this time? The Bible says he goes down to the house of God. He takes all of the gold and the silver and the jewels and the money and he goes and he pays the Syrians and says, don't team up with them, team up with us. And God sends a prophet. His name is Hananiah, and Hananiah goes his way. Aren't it amazing when you mess up, God always has a leather-lunged somebody to put in your path and tell you what you ain't doing right and how to get it right. And God sends a leather-lunged preacher whose name was Hananiah. And he goes down to Asa and he says, Asa, what in the world have you done? He says, you should have relied upon the name of the Lord God, but you have relied upon the nation of Syria. And he says this, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth and he's looking who he can show himself strong in the behalf of him whose heart is perfect toward God. Now Asa, because you did not ask God to do it, you shall have war from here on out. Now brothers and sisters, hear me. You do understand what the Bible says right here, that the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth, and he's looking for somebody that he can show himself strong in behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward God. That is a promise. You need to circle that verse in your Bible. You need to write it off to the side, and you need to write big, fat promise to me because the same God that said it back there is the same God that's saying it right now that his eyes are running all over the world every crevice every holler every mountain every cornfield every city every county he's running to and he's running fro and he's looking in every church and he's looking in every family and he's looking in every ministry and he's looking in every pulpit and he's looking in every single believer's heart and he's saying are you you the one that I can make this promise valid in. What is so good about that promise? Let me give you a couple of things. Number one, this is a special 
promise. Now, I want you to think about something. When God went to do his work, Tyler Noblet, do you know what he could have done? He could have reached up into heaven and he could have grabbed the stars and he could have made the stars form the message in the sky. He put the stars where they go. Do you know how the Milky Way got where it was? Because God put it there. Do you know how the Little Dipper is a Little Dipper? Because God made it a Little Dipper. Do you know how God made a Big Dipper a Big Dipper and not a Little Dipper like the Little Dipper, but he made it a Big Dipper like the Big Dipper? Because he made it that way. Do you know why Orion's belt is like Orion's belt? Because the God of heaven made it that way. So the God that made the Little Dipper and the Big Dipper and the Small Dipper and the Medium-Sized Dipper and the Cheese Dipper, say amen right there. He made all of that. Do you know what he could have done? He could have reached up to those stars and he could have told those stars, I want you to write the message of the gospel in the sky and I want you to sing the news that Jesus saves. I want you to tell it every night when the sun goes down and I want you to shine every day when the sun goes up. But that's not what God did. He could have looked over to the millions and billions of angels that were in the heavens and he could have said, boys, I want you to go get your trumpets and I want you to sound the alarm that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. But he did not go and get the angels. He could have gone and got the four-faced beast and said, go down and preach the message that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. But he said, four-faced beast, I want you to silence your voice. He could have used the stars and he could have used the angels and he could have used the four-faced beast. But when God went to do something special, do you know what he did? He reached down to the Lord form of earth and it is mankind and he said I'm going to use man and I'm going to use woman but he didn't just find any man or woman I'll tell you what he did he reached down into the lowest bucket of sin into the primordial ooze of oblivion and he reached down to the bottom of that bucket and he found somebody like me and he found somebody like you and he said I'm going to find the vilest sinner I'm going to find the most wretched sinner I'm going to find the most beat up sinner I'm going to find the dirtiest sinner and I'm going to shake the devil out of them and I'm going to put the Holy Ghost in them and I'm going to use that person to shake the kingdom of hell and I'm going to use that person. What a promise. I'm going to tell you something brother. God should have used a good person but you know what he did? He went and found somebody like Tyler. Oh he could have used a smart person but he went and found somebody like Tyler. He could have used a wealthy person, but he went and found somebody like Tyler. And don't you stare at me with that religious hypocrite look on your face. Because if God wanted to use somebody special, he wouldn't have used somebody like you, and he wouldn't be using somebody like me. But here is what I've come to tell you right now. If he wanted to use somebody rich, people would be saying the reason that that person was used is because they were rich. And if he wanted to use somebody smart, people would be saying, I'll tell you, the reason they got used is because they were smart. But when an old, dumb, wretched, rotten, poor, good-for-nothing, low-down, rotten sinner that ought to be burning in hell stands up and just says, I don't know how I got here. I don't know who brought me here, but I got something in my soul. I just want to stand up and say, Jesus says, yes, he 
he does and God is good and God is faithful people look and they say my God in heaven what's inside of that guy right there it can't be him he's not special it can't be him he's not rich it can't be him he's not smart there must be a big old God that ran all the way from to to fro from kingdom to come from Dan to Beersheba from north to south and his eyes found that man right there the man found God found that woman right there ladies and gentlemen have you ever thought about how wonderful it is that God wants you and if you don't think it's wonderful that God wants you then you probably don't know how sorry you really are you know I used to think I was something special until I started learning about myself. You know, I'd wake up and I'd say, what a guy. But by the time I went to bed, I'd done thought bad thoughts. I'd wanted to say bad stuff. I wanted to lie about the stuff I ought to have thought about. And I was doing everything I can to claw past everybody. And I'd go to bed feeling so sorry. I'd go to bed feeling so guilty. I'd go to bed feeling so wretched and so vile. And to that guy, the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of the living God said, you are the one I want. What a promise. Can I encourage somebody right now? When you think you really are somebody, you ought to get on your face and just realize you ain't nothing. You ain't nobody, and I ain't nothing, and I ain't nobody. I know that's a double negative, but that's a double truth. You ain't nothing, and I ain't nothing. You ain't nobody, and I ain't nobody. But the good God of heaven reached down into the bucket of nothing, and he pulled out a handful of nobody, and he put the power of God inside of their soul, and he said, "I would, what a special promise. Number two, it ain't just a special promise. It's a still promise. Watch what it says, verse number nine. The eyes of the Lord run. The Bible doesn't say the eyes of the Lord ran. It doesn't say the eyes of the Lord will run. Okay. Y'all must have been out in that cornfield today dodging that tornado. Let me just run through some grammatical truths. If it said the eyes of the Lord ran, that would indicate there was a time when it did happen, but it's in the past tense and it no longer is happening. If it said the Lord's eyes will run, that would indicate that he plans to do it in the future, but he ain't doing it right now. We call that the future tense. You realize there's only three tenses. There's the past, what was. There's the future, what shall be. But there's another tense. We call it the present tense. And the present tense is what's used right here. Do you know what that means? It means it could have been occurring in the past and it may occur in the future. But none of that matters at all 
Because right this moment, right now, it is happening. Let me put it to you in Midwestern redneck language. Y'all don't act like you ain't a redneck. I can see in your eyeballs you's a redneck. Wherever you are, smack dab in the middle of that thing, God's looking at that moment for you. You know what that realizes? What I realized through that? That right now, this very second, on April the 2023, whatever today's date is, here's what I'm telling you. In this moment right now, at 746 on a Wednesday night in Crawfordsville, Indiana, in this county right here, on the side of this road right here, that the eyeballs of omnipotence, the eyeballs of holiness, the eyeballs of faithfulness, the same eyes that look into the oblivion of eternal past and can see it all, and the same eyeballs that can look into the future of eternal glory and can see it all. The same eyeballs that can be just as present in the yesterday of the crucifixion as if it was at this moment. And the same eyes that can look into the future and see the glorious eternal future of trillions upon trillion years in that day, in this very moment, right now. Those eyeballs are going up and down this aisle and they're going in and out of these seats and they're looking for you right now and he's whispering in your ear right now he's saying are you going to be the one that will believe me are you going to be the one that I can show myself strong on my behalf are you going to be the one that I can use to touch your family and to touch your job and to touch your kids and to touch your church and to change a town and to change a city and to change a state are you going to be the one because God says right now I'm looking for somebody oh my we're always waiting on God to move could it be God's right now looking for somebody that he can move through and I want you to watch this next one it's a supernatural promise it says the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth why, Lord? What are you looking for? He says, I'm looking for somebody that I can show myself strong on his behalf. Oh, Lord, how can I explain this? Let me put it to you like this. I think I said it Monday night. People that go to the gym and work out have problems. They have problems. I've had people that come up to me. You ever met somebody? I know y'all got them around here. They're everywhere. They're everywhere. They drive old Chevy pickup trucks and rolled up in their shirt sleeves, a pack of Marlboros, and in the back pocket is a perfect ring of Kodak. You know what I'm talking about, or Kodiak, or whatever that stuff's called. Chaw, whatever that's called. Don't y'all act like, like I have seen the juice running down the side of your truck. Don't even act like you don't know what I'm talking about. And they've got their shirt sleeves rolled up like they are somebody, but it looks like the McDonald's straw factory puked out of their sleeve. Their arms are that big around. 
and they walk around like they're ready to flex. Can I stop and take a time out? My daughter's nine years old. She ain't ready to date. I ain't letting her date till she's 45. But when the day finally comes that she is ready to date, if she brings home a straw-legged, bow-legged, straw-armed redneck, I am going to knock her out and I'm going to kick him out. Them boys walk around Walmart. I had to go to Walmart today. And they walk around Walmart. You know what they're doing? They're flexing. They're flexing. And them flexing... That's their desire to show how strong they are. There's a reason old TCG always wears long sleeves. Because there ain't nothing up under this package worthy of flexing. But I've met some boys that if I met them in a back alley and they got the flexing, Run, son. When somebody starts flexing, you know business is about to pick up. It's Wednesday night. Can I tell y'all something that really happened to me? Now, I know I told you most preachers lie. I'm going to tell you a story that actually happened to me. I had a boy in my church, and I mean he was huge. I'm talking huge. His biceps were as big around as my thighs. I know that ain't a muscle, but they were huge, man. He walked around like this. Right, he was huge. You remember the old? You remember the movie, The Christmas Story, with Ralphie. You remember Ralphie, and you remember Ralphie's little brother, and the mama would dress him up, and his arms held out like that, and when he pushed them down, they flopped back up. That's what old Reggie looked like when he went to, he was so big, his arms wouldn't even go down. He's huge. And he said, preacher, won't you come work out with me one morning? Sure. How hard could it be? And I went to that gym. We got there at 5 a.m. in the morning. We walk in, and I walk in in my champion sweatpants. I got on an Under Armour t-shirt. I look like Gilligan had thrown up is what I look like in that gym. And I'm standing there, and Reggie walks out. His arm, his arm sleeves are cut off. He got on his shorts. And he's got this belt around his waist. It's about that thick. It's about that wide. And I said, Reggie, what's that for? He said, it's called a back brace. I said, I thought it was arm day. What do you need a back brace for? And before I knew it, Brother Randy, he had gone over. And if I'm lying, I'm dying. He walked over and started putting rings on this bar thing. And I'm talking the rings were this big. I don't know what it was because it was all in the kilograms and I'm more into the English system. And it was a lot though. And before I knew it, that thing was stacked. Honest, it had to be as heavy as a Volkswagen. I have no idea. It was humongous. And Reggie walks over to that and he starts doing this. And he starts, he starts flexing. And I ain't never seen that before. 
But you know what I figured out pretty quick? That when the flexion started, big stuff was about to get moved. And before I knew it, the flexion was a precursor to heavy stuff getting picked up and rearranged. That's exactly what chapter number 16, verse number 9 means when it says God's looking for somebody that he can show himself strong on the behalf of him. That means God is looking for somebody he can flex a little bit in their life. You say, how big and supernatural is it when God gets to flexing? Well, let me just give it to you. When God created the heavens and the earth, he didn't flex at all. He just spoke and it all came forth. When God got ready to put the mighty cedar trees in the California forest. He didn't have to flex at all. He just spoke the word. When God went to create man, he didn't have to flex at all. He just reached down and pulled a little putty together. When God went to create the angels, he didn't have to flex at all. He just spoke and the angels came forth. Whenever God went to make the devil and the demons bow, he never had to do a thing, but he had to just be what he was and he did all that. Can you imagine if God can create the heavens with the word and he can create the worlds with the word and he can create man with his fingertips, what's going to happen in your life? What kind of supernatural things are going to start moving in your life when God finds somebody and says, angels, watch out. I'm going to roll my sleeves up and I'm going to flex my muscle in their life. I'm going to flex my muscle and I want to show the devil that what's heavy in their life is about to get moved and what's heavy in their family is about to get moved and what's heavy in their community is about to get moved. That's a supernatural thing. When God gets a flexing, God's looking for somebody he can flex a little on. You say, what's it going to take for God to flex in my life? He's just looking for somebody whose heart's right and says, God, flex a little bit in my life. Can I tell you all about that stupid barbell? Can I talk to y'all about that dumb barbell in that gym, that 24-hour fit? Who works out 24 hours a day? What kind of fool goes to the gym at 3 o'clock in the morning? You say somebody that probably works third shift. You need to go home. You don't need to lift weights. You need to go to bed. What's it going to take for God to flex? I'll give you three things. Number one, I'm going to preach them really fast. Number one, verse number eight, the first thing it's going to take for God to start flexing a little bit in your life and in your church and in your family. The first thing, it's going to take the power of God. It's going to take the power of an almighty God. Watch what it says in verse number eight when God sends Hananiah back to him. He says, he says Asa, he says, were not the Ethiopians... A huge host. Back in chapter number 14, you see, Asa had just come to the throne. Asa has just come to the throne, and the Ethiopians come down, and they are ready to demolish Asa. Asa's got no army. Asa's got no power. Asa's got no money. But you know what Asa had? Asa had the power of God. Flip back just a chapter or two to chapter number 14 in this same book. And can I show you what verse number 9 of this chapter, 2 Chronicles chapter 14, verse number 9. Watch what it says. And there came out against them Zerah the Ethiopian with an host of a hundred of a thousand thousand and three hundred chariots and came unto Marasha 
Watch what verse 11 now says Asa does. Asa says in verse 11, And Asa cried unto the Lord his God. And do you know what God did? I'll sum it up in the King Tyler version. God flexed his muscle. Asa had no power, but he had the power of God. Asa had no army, but he had the army of God. Asa had no money, but he had the resource of God. And he said, God, I ain't got nobody, but I'm going to talk to you about it. God, this Ethiopian's coming out, and he's trying to destroy me. Lord, I've got no power. I've got no authority. I've got no strength. I've got no ability. But I know I've got you. And God, if I've got you, I've got everything I need. And he started praying and he started seeking God. And you know what happened? When Asa could not move the barbell, God said, watch out, son. He said, I'm ready to flex my muscle. And God walked up to the barbell of the Ethiopian and he blew him out of the water. And Asa got victory. And Asa got power. And Asa got authority. Oh, because the power of God showed up. Now watch this. Back in chapter 14, he's got no money, got no army, got no authority, and a huge host came out. But he had God. Now, if you'll go back to chapter 16, chapter 16 says that the Israelites, the northern tribes came, and the Syrians came, a smaller host. So if God gave you victory over a big host back there by praying, wouldn't you think if he did it in a big thing back there, the most reasonable thing to think is if God did a big thing back there, can't he do a little thing right here? But what did Asa do? The Bible says Asa relied upon the Assyrians. Let me put it to you like this. When I first started, Brother Randy, when I first started preaching, I knew nobody. I don't have preachers in my family. My, my dad is a firefighter. I don't have pastors anywhere in my bloodline. In fact, the closest thing I've got, there was a preacher, Galden, in Greensboro way back when, but we didn't even spell our names the same. He spelled his G-A-U-L-D-I-N. I spelled mine G-A-U-L-D-E-N. I got preachers. No, I knew nobody. And whenever God first called me to preach, I didn't know how to preach. I had no clue. I wanted to be a firefighter. I wanted to be a fire Preach. Do you know how I prepared my first sermon, Brother Randy? I'll tell you exactly how I prepared my first sermon. Can I tell you all how I did it? You're going to think I'm lying. I'm telling you right now how I prepared my first sermon. I had to preach on a Sunday. That Sunday afternoon, I turned on Christian television. And I said, God, the first preacher that pops on Christian TV, I'm just going to copy their message and I'm going to preach it tonight. And that day, John Hagee was preaching on the five things you'll find in hell. And so that night, do you know what I preached on on Sunday night? I preached on the five things. I'm telling you right now, if Benny Hinn had been preaching, I'd have been knocking people out in Jesus' name. If Joyce Meyer had been preaching, I'd have been up there saying, you know you can make it. You know you're going to. If Joel Osteen had been up there, I'd have been up there telling a real funny joke like this right here. It didn't matter to me. I had no idea what I was doing. But you know what I knew? I knew if God had called me, he was going to help me. Now, here I am today. 
I've got how many years of experience from 18 to 37 right now. How many years that is. But I'm going now to new places. Places I've never been before. You and I would probably think, God, you helped me way back there. So what I did way back there in praying and seeking your face, that's what I'm going to do today. But do you know what this flesh tries to get you to do? This old flesh tries to get you to, well, maybe you ought to make some phone calls. Maybe you ought to try to line up. You see, the devil's always going to try to get you to shortcut the process and to shortcut the plan of God. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. What got you to where you are is what you need to keep on doing where you're at. It was the God of heaven that brought you where you are. It was the power of God that got you where you are. It was your praying that got you where you are. It was the God of heaven moving in your life that got you where you are. You don't have the job you've got right now because you've got talent or because you've got ability or because somebody knew you it's because God was gracious unto you and he opened up the door in your life and the God that opened up the door in your life back there is he not the God that can open up the door today and is he not the God that provided back there then he's the God that will provide today honey y'all about to put shovels in the ground out there and the preacher has said that God doesn't want you to go into death and I know there's businessmen and I know there's people that they get their wisdom from all out in this world and they'll say all types of things like well I'll tell you what we ought to do right I'll tell you what we all ought to do right now is get on our face and realize we're far more blessed than we ever deserve in our lives and if God has got us where he's got us then he'll give us what he needs us to have when he needs us to have it he's the God listen do what you did back there today and you'll get the blessings you got back there today I'm just trying to tell you if you're going to see God flex in your life it ain't going to come from your power it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. Now, I'm so stupid. I'm there in that gym with that barbell that weighed three and a half thousand pounds. It was the biggest barbell. I'd never seen anything like it. And I actually had the audacity to walk up to that barbell, spread my knees like I was going to pick that thing up. And I reached down. And I stood back up. You know what I said? Hey, Reggie, give me your belt. If I just had the belt. You know what I realized? There was not one thing that he put on that gave him that power. It was that which was within him that had strengthened him beyond what we could see. It wasn't on the outside. It was the muscle on the inside. It is not something that you can do. It is not something you can have. It is not something you can say. It is not something you're going to do that's going to change your family and going to change your situation. It's when you get on your face before God like Asa did way back there and say, God, just like you delivered the Ethiopians, God, I need you to deliver the Syrians. But he didn't do it. You know why? He got to a place in his life where he said, you know what, God, I think I got it from here. And what you'll find is the more blessed you get, 
the more self-reliant you will become. Do you know how you keep always depending on the power of God in your life? Always strive to do something that is bigger than yourself. If you'll always be looking at a mountain to climb and not looking back at the one you just got over, you'll always be saying, God, I need strength. My sister had been trying for about five and a half years to have a baby, her and her husband. And they had tried and they'd gone through all the treatments, gone through all the IVF treatments, gone through everything they could go through. And they finally had a little, little Hurley is his name. He's three months old and honest. He's the only other, he's the only cousin that my kids have. It's just the three grand, my two kids and little, and, and little Hurley and honest. I, I think I like that child more than I like my own kids. I can't prove it, but there's something about that baby. And I looked at my sister. I said, you know, it's probably time to have another one. She said, let me tell you something, Jack. She said, we're done, son. And I said, well, why not? She said, it took way too much to get this one. I said, well, can't God do it? And she said, yeah. So she went on and on and on and on. And we were talking. But I got to thinking about that. And I applied it in my life. I, it's none of my business what she does. I don't, she's getting too old. She's like me. Lord, please, God, I'm getting too old to have babies. Let's just adopt babies while I can't go through the birthing process. I, it was hard on me going through the birthing process. Just being in that delivery room, it just about took me down to the brink of death. I can't handle it much more. I don't know that I can go through much more of that. All of that said, isn't it amazing that what we get what we want, we never strive for the next step. We never keep reaching like Caleb and say, Lord, you gave me Canaan. Now I want the mountain. Can I ask you a question? When was the last time in your soul that you looked at something and said, God, the only way I'm going to get that thing is with your help? Because if you don't have something like that in your life, you are not where God wants you to be. Because the moment you stop depending on God is the moment you are no longer walking in faith. And whatsoever is not of faith is sin, what James says. Number two, it's not just going to take the power of God. The second thing it's going to take, it's going to take persevering in the Word. I want you to watch what it says in verse number seven or verse number eight. He says, were not the Ethiopians and the Lubims. The Lubims. Who were the Lubims? The Lubims, they were the modern-day Libyans. They came from a desert country. They came from a dry land. But the name Lubims, it literally means thirsty land. Now, why in the world would the Lubims come all the way up and try to take over Judah? Do you know why? Because Judah was known for one thing. It was the land of wells and water. 
And the Lubins came up and they said, you know what? We got no water in our land, so we're going to come take the water out of your land. We're going to knock you out of the place where there, is, where there is water and refreshment and the quenching of your thirst. Now, here's what I'm telling you. The word in the Bible is always pictured with water. Here's what God is trying to show you. The God of heaven will give you a promise. He'll give you a verse. He'll give you something when you get on your face before him that you can hold on to. He'll say, God, are you going to save my family? And he'll give you a promise. He'll give you a word. God, are you going to move in my life and provide what you've promised me? He'll give you a word and he'll give you that promise. And you know what will happen? God will give you that promise and the devil will come from a far country. And the man that's got no water and no hope, the demons and the devils of hell, they'll come and they'll try to steal that promise out of your heart. Let me say it like this. For five and a half years, Every month, my little sister would cry and weep whenever the doctor would tell her, however often it happened, the doctor would tell her, I'm sorry, it wasn't successful. And the devil would tell her, I told you God wasn't going to give you a baby. You know what that is? That's a lubum trying to steal the water out of your soul. The devil loves to make you doubt. Can I ask you a question? I, I probably I don't, I don't even I don't even know why I'm saying this. What would have happened if three years into the, the, the IVF, if you don't believe in all that, I don't really care. It doesn't really matter what me what you believe. This is my story. If you want to tell your story, you get a pulpit one day and you tell your story, this is my story. What would have happened if at year three, my sister got so discouraged and she ignored that word God put in her heart. And if at year three, the devil, the Lubim, the Libyan came and stole that promise out of her heart and she finally said, what's the point of going any further? What's the point? You know what she wouldn't have right now? She wouldn't have had a screaming youngin that kept her up all night last night and this morning her eyeballs looked like they were bloodshot and she got bags the size of saddles up under her eyes. Here's what I'm telling you right now. The devil wants to steal that promise out of your heart. If God's giving you a promise that something's going to happen, you hold on to that through disappointment. You hold on to that through discouragement. You hold on to that through the fear. You hold on to that through the anxiety. The devil is a liar and the father of lies. You look the devil in the eyeball and remind him where he's on his way way to and you remind him God's giving you a promise and one day you will hold that promise one day you will walk in that promise one day you will possess that promise one day you'll know the truth that God is not a liar but the devil is a liar do not stop persevering if God's giving you a promise if you're going to see God flex you got to hold to the promise and protect the water you can't give up you can't stop can I give you the third thing it's going to take if God's going to flex in your life? I hope this is helping somebody. It's helping me right here just talking about it. If it's going to take God flexing in your life, the third thing it's going to take, it's going to take you being concerned about the promotion of others. I want to show you something that happens in verse number 10. Verse number 10, watch what the Bible says. Then Asa was wroth with the seer. That's the prophet. And put him in a prison house. For he was in a rage with him 
because of this thing. And Asa oppressed some of the people the same time. In chapter number 14, Asa cries unto the Lord God of heaven. But by the end of chapter 16, he's throwing the prophet of God in prison. You know what that prophet's name was? Hananiah. Do you know what Hananiah means in Hebrew? It means the graciousness of God. You see, Hananiah came to Asa and confronted him. Do you know what Asa thought? Asa thought, God's mad at me. And instead of listening to the gracious word that God sent, he gets mad. And he rejects the graciousness of God. And he walks away from his blessing. Can I show you something? Something I had not seen until I sat back here in the preacher's office just less than an hour ago. Can I show you? Look in chapter number 16 at verse number 9. Remember the one requirement for God moving and flexing his muscle in your life. Chapter 16, verse number 9. What is the one requirement? The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in behalf of them. What's it going to take? Here it is. Whose heart is perfect toward him. Say that with me. Whose heart is perfect toward him. Say it one more time. Whose heart is perfect toward him. You know the only requirement for God to flex his muscle in the life of a person? What is it? Whose heart is perfect toward him. Can I show you something? Flip back one chapter, chapter 15, verse number 17. Chapter 15, verse number 17. But the high places were not taken away out of Israel. Nevertheless, the heart of Asa was perfect all his days. Now, wait a second. In chapter 16, God says, I'm looking for somebody whose heart's perfect. Asa, you missed it, son. And now because you missed it here, you're going to have wars all the days of your life. But one chapter before, the historian says that Asa's heart was perfect all the days of his life. Which one's right? They're both right. Do you know why? Because there'll be times in your life when God will send what looks like a problem into your life to see if in that situation your heart will trust Him completely. And what looked like a problem, Hananiah looked like a problem, but had he listened to Him, he would have had victory. In your life right now, what you're battling, what you're facing and what you're struggling with, it looks like a problem. But what it is, it's a test that's been sent to you from God to see if your heart will trust Him wholly. And when God finally says, oh man, I feel God in my soul right now. When you finally say, God, you give me a promise and I can't see it, I can't feel it, I don't know where it's coming from, but I'm trusting. God says, watch out angels. Give me my belt. I'm thinking to flex my muscle. 
in the life of that child of God right there. So I don't know why I came this way and I don't know who I came to tell it to. But I want to help somebody that God is trying to flex his muscle in your life. And what you see as a problem standing right before you is not a problem. It's the gracious gift of God Almighty. But if you will stay perfect and trust God wholly, even in the midst of a seeming problem, God will give you victory if you'll just trust him. 